Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, entrepreneurship, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, I have a great one today. I am extremely excited to welcome my guest, Javon McCormick, the CEO, speaker, and author. But his life didn't begin as a success story. He was born in a multi... He was born the multiracial son of a pimp father and a white single mother on welfare. And what is that you say? You didn't even, you couldn't even afford the the O and the R. You were just po. Poverty, right, abuse, <laughs> eviction, and discrimination were a daily part of his life. And today, Javon is the CEO of Scribe Media, a multi-million dollar publishing company that helps entrepreneurs, executives, and experts write, publish, and market their books. Pretty damn cool. Check it out. I'll do the plug at the end. And, then, and this position comes after a hard-fought way up from the bottom tier of society from getting a GED, earning and losing his job in the financial sector during the mortgage collapse, restarting his career, and working his way up to the position of president. This is an intense story that we're about to unpack and one of the most unbelievable stories of perseverance out there, period. So let's jump in. Javon, welcome to the show, sir. My man, Adam, what's going on, sir? I, I, I appreciate it. We were, we were talking before about how long I've been following you and your journey uh, and introduced to you through Tucker Max, uh, someone that I've had on my show that I've admired and a fan of his writing for a, a very long time. And you've done so many shows and you talk about your background. But for my audience that does not know you, let, let, let's bring it back, man, because I think your origin story, your upbringing and the way you climbed up is, is critically important. I'd love if you could share with my audience. Oh man, where where do you Adam? You you lead, man. Where do you want me to start with that? Let Let's talk about. I mean, what was it like to grow up? You know, with a, with a single mother. I mean, you really didn't know your father, right? Your father was a, was a, was a black no, actually, pin, right? Actually, I, I, knew, I knew my I knew my dad quite a bit, man. I mean, uh, he you know he would pick me up maybe. You know, I'd only see him two, three times a month, but uh, it wasn't like I didn't know him. I, did, I didn't get. He wasn't active. My my dad was a pimp and drug dealer. Period. Point blank. My dad was black. Um, a black man in the seventies. He was a pimp and drug dealer. He fathered twenty three kids. That's so crazy. I'm one of twenty three. Uh, my mom is is white. She was an orphan, raised in an orphanage. Uh, I, I don't know where my last name comes from. When my mom went into labor, she had to walk herself to the hospital. That's so crazy. when she gave birth to me, given the fact that she was raised in an orphanage, she has no background, no family. Uh, so she had the last name McCormick. So for her, I was all she had in the world. So I got my mom's last name because obviously my dad wasn't there when I was born. So, uh, but yeah, that's how, how I came into the world, man. Grew up uh, extreme U.S. poor because there's a difference between United yes. States poor and poor in other countries. Uh, but I was poor nonetheless here here in the United States. Uh, grew up on welfare, being mixed race in the 70s, half white, half black, not a good look. 
Uh, man, at times, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. I was in juvenile prison three different times, sexually molested by one of my dad's prostitutes from Jeez. the ages six, seven, eight years old. And as you said, man, I got nothing but a GED. I, I never graduated college. I got a GED, and that's it. Good enough diploma, right? That's what it stands for. That's, that's right, man. <laughs> So me, I, I, Adam, Adam, I make the joke, man. I said, look, I had three letters after my last name long before CEO. I had GED. <laughs> long, long enough. So, I mean, my, my first question, this is a serious one. Looking back on it and the way that your mom raised you, why didn't that trauma break you, man? When, you when think you, it's a character? Why, like did, character? why didn't it break me? Was that, was that the question? Correct. Okay. Um, you know, man, I, I look at it this way. So, so many people have said this to me. How, how did you uh, overcome the odds? And, and oh, you, you had every reason to not be successful. And I've just never looked at it that way. I don't feel like I overcame any odds. I, I feel like um, when I look at my background, if, if I'm very direct and some people take Please. offense to this, I actually feel that I was more prepared for success then even my children may be in growing up in a, a wonderful two-parent home, going to private Christian school and living in a gated community. I know things about this world and how it operates that most people are never going to know. No, they're never going to have that experience. I mean, let's talk about it. What was, this is my curveball, what was the, what's the earliest childhood memory of you have of your dad? Oh, man. It went, went, so, so first thing that comes to mind when you ask me that question is uh, standing in the window waiting hours for him to come pick me up and he would never show. That was the, That's the first thing that came to my mind when you said that. Second, the thing that came to that is on those times that he did show uh, was running out and, and running and him catching me. I, I would jump into to his arms. Those are the first two things that came to my mind. Third one, um, when I was with him for a weekend, uh, complete chaos. You knew you were going to collect money imagine. from prostitutes. You yeah, you working. There was a, a problem. Yeah, it was a probability that that the house was going to be raided. Oh, uh, you'd see my dad, you know, beat women. So yeah, you know, That's... it was going to be complete chaos. But those were the three things that first came to mind. Looking back on it now, when you and your family, how has that experience taught you to be a better parent? You know, here, here's the thing for, for me. Again, this is this is me answering the question for me because I, I find it interesting this day and age when you answer questions, everybody wants to critique your answer. Yeah, like this, you, this is this is me and how I deal with it and how it's, it's manifested itself for me. Um, I look at life and there's lessons to be learned everywhere. There's positives, there's takeaways in some of the most negative situations. So I look at my dad. He may not have taught me what to do as a dad, but he damn sure taught me what not to do. And so I, I look at how do you take the positive from that? So, okay, I know not to do this, this, and this. That's a positive. So, so I was set up on what not to do. Uh, e even the things that I was around, I am very proud that I grew up around heroin addicts, drug dealers, crackheads, because when you see the extreme, uh, what, what, what heroin does to a person, to this day, I've never done any drugs. Why? Because I know, I I've seen so many people seen uh, take heroin once, 
hit the pipe once and it's over. And so there's a positive to that. It, it, I learned not to not to do those things. You know, let's let's pause on that. It's so interesting too, a, a worldly perspective and how that I mean, this is this is a core to your story, man. The fact that you don't have this formal education, you grew up on the streets, you learned on the streets, you worked your way up. Correct me if I'm wrong, your first job was scrubbing toilets in San Antonio. First job, man. Right. Cleaning, cleaning so, toilets. So when we when we when we look at this, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your hand. You were born with a freaking crack pipe on the floor. And I think there's a, I was gonna say I wasn't even born with a spoon, man. Not <laughs> a spoon, right? And 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 there's such there's such value to that. I mean, every that's why I, I mean, honestly, that's why I love scribing what you're building there. And we'll get into all that in a minute. The origin story, understanding where, where people come from and that how that affects who they are. You know, if you're doing a little bit of self-analysis, self-review right now, um, how was your, your, your character defined in those formative years, right? When, you, when you're in your, you know, 10, 12, 15 in your teens, you know, before you got out into the working world, you know, living this life growing up, you know, how did, how did, your, mom, how did your mom teach you to be a good boy, man? You know, I, I don't know that anyone taught me how to be a good boy, uh, how, how to be good at, at all. I, I, my, my, here's what the, the thing my mom and I used to always say. Um, we survived. We didn't live. Hmm. I, I, my, my mom, the streets, my, my father, uh, they all taught me how to survive. I had to teach myself how to live. And, and so it, it's, there's a big difference between surviving and living. I was, was raised, prepared, groomed to know how to survive. I know mm. how to survive. And no, no one prepared me on what it was like to, to live. And because of that, in, in living, my character wasn't, you, you brought that back up, man, I struggled for years in relationships, couldn't hold a relationship. I was a monster to women, disrespectful, degraded them, this... And, and and I don't blame anyone. You know, every, everybody wants to say, oh, well, because of the environment I was growing. Now, I, I will say, did that have a hand? Yeah. I saw how my dad treated women. I saw that no one ever really respected my mom and treated her good. And so, but I don't blame anyone. That was, that's what I saw. And there came comes a point as an adult, and, and this is what escapes so much of society, again, in my opinion, is there's very little accountability and responsibility anymore. Everyone wants to blame someone for something. Ooh. And for me, man, I wasn't going to blame anybody that I couldn't hold a relationship. I wasn't going to blame anybody that, that I was just a monster in, in relationships. I had to look in the mirror and say to myself at, at 37, 38 years old, you know what? You're a lot like your dad. You're just like him. You, you can't hold a relationship. You don't treat women well. And what are you going to do with that? And, and so I had to, to test my own character. Accountability starts with self-awareness. And, and it's so fucking crazy. Pardon my French. I had my self-awareness epiphany at 35. You had it at 37. It took me to my mid-30s to be able to have that moment of pause, self-reflection, and say, all right, who the hell am I? What am I doing right now? And what am I going to do about it? That, that was my moment. So, Javon, was there that moment at 37 where you looked in the proverbial mirror and said, what the hell am I doing? Oh, man, I looked in the mirror and had an out loud conversation. You know, a lot of people will say, look in the mirror and, and have a conversation. No, I, it was out loud. I was literally, I was talking to a person in the mirror. The person just happened to be me. Mm. And I said to myself, okay, you've made some money. You've lost a lot of money. Uh, now you're broke. 
uh, which which was interesting because again, I was raised to survive. So when when I was broke again, I'm like, oh, I've been here before. I know I know what to do to get away from broke. Uh, didn't think that I'd be back here, but here I am. What I didn't know how to do, and what it was time for me to to realize is, you don't know how to hold a relationship. And so that was the character defining moment for me of, okay, how do we do this different? And what was that course of action? Oh, man, many I, courses I of action. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, I treated it just like I did business. Like I said, I I, I taught myself how to uh, rise through corporate America. I taught myself how, uh, business. Uh, so I figured, okay, I can teach myself re- relationships. So I started watching, okay, what what are rela- what relationships do I admire? Do I look and that looks like something that that I would like to have? And so that's I tried to start modeling and going about the things that that appealed to me in a relationship. Was there a role model for you, or role models that you looked to? I mean, you didn't have a male. Did you have a, no. a male figure in your life? Or did, was it fictional you know, characters, celebrities? Time, like, who did you look to? The only time I really had media? a male uh, role model in my life was when I was age, uh, for about 18 months, I lived with my Uncle Bobby. My Uncle Bobby taught me uh, manners, taught me, hmm. it was my first introduction to God. He taught me accountability. He taught me punctuality, uh, impeccable attention to detail. I mean, so many great things for, for a boy that was 13 years old. He, he taught me some amazing life skills. things. Life, life skills. Arguably, the things that have made me successful, many of them came from Uncle Bobby. When, when I look at, at business right now, uh, some of the things that they teach in school, it, 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 none of it. Is, has led to success that, that I see for, for the business world. But um, I didn't have any male role models when, once I was an adult. It was, okay, you're an adult. You got to make some adult decisions. And, and you again, you have to be accountable and be responsible. Is, is Uncle Bobby still with us? He is. He is. We, we, we don't talk as much. Once I left Dayton, I, I literally left Dayton. Um, I, I saw my Uncle Bobby when I went back to my dad's funeral several years ago. Uh, what was that? Four years ago. And, and we talked then. I How thanked him for, for taking me in when he didn't have to. I mean, think about it. I had 23, uh, uh, 22 other siblings. Uncle Bobby and, had and a lot of nieces and nephews. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Bobby had a lot, and he and he took me. And when Christmas he had was tough, man. Expensive. Christmas was expensive. Yeah. <laughs> now we 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 kid there too, but let's 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 hit the fast forward button for a little bit. You know, countrywide mortgage. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were literally working <laughs> on a on a on a. You started on a folding chair in a closet. That was your office. Well, no. Okay, so so two different <laughs> things. Yes, I was at Countrywide Home Loans uh, during the mortgage crisis. And what, what's really cool is I, I got the chance to sit down uh, and meet Angelo Mazzello, the founder of, of Countrywide Home Loans. Uh, I don't know, four years ago, I, I got the chance to, to, to meet him. But I was in the mortgage industry. It collapsed. Mm-hmm. I went broke. But mm-hmm. then um, we're to, to your point. Sorry, that was Headspring. Chair, sorry, we, 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 we jumped ahead there. Yeah. All right. Sorry. See, so, see I, I told you I did my research and I and I flibbed it. That happens sometimes, podcast <laughs> hosts. You get ahead of yourself there. Um, <laughs> let, let's let's rewind and, and go back to Countrywide, right? And we talk about the mortgage crash, but let's go back to 2008. There was a lot of people who were wheeling and dealing. They were flying high. The mortgage bubble pops and everything. Did that 
deflate your confidence or going back to what we were talking about before that you know how to survive you know how to make money take us back to that moment when it collapsed and you had to figure out what the next move was then we'll get back to the folding uh, chair no story. It, it, it didn't deflate me at all i i, I it, it sucked because you know everything was going great uh, even this go back to that time period if you remember it crashed in everyone our country we blame yep. the banks it was the bank's fault it was the lender's fault right. it was the mortgage broker's fault blame 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 no, you, you rarely heard people taking accountability and saying, yeah, I probably shouldn't have signed that, got that house, uh, that second home, that refinance where the, the, uh, I knew the appraisal was overvalued. You'd heard very little Ooh. accountability from the individual side. Everything was blamed the banks. Right. Let's, wait, wait, I, I was literally just having this. Or I saw this conversation the other day. I just wanna, I'm going completely off topic on this. How many people during that time, don't, don't sit there and play victim. You knew that you were getting an overvaluation. You knew that you were yep. being overextended on your line of credit. You were greedy and you took that money. Yep. Sorry, I just had a rant for a minute there because I just saw something no, on this the other man, day. It's, right? here, I'll take it a step further. It's, Please. A, it's a very Dig fair in. rant because no, here's, here's what you kept seeing. Everyone wanted to blame, you know, JP Morgan, Washington Mutual, Countrywide right. Home Loans. And, and then you even have people say, well, the, the mortgage broker told me to, to sign this. And, and here's the thing. While I agree that, that the mortgage industry bankers had a hand in it, we'll even call it 60%. I won't sure. even say 50-50. We'll say 60% because they, they did know the game. Of course, they manipulated But you don't hear anything about the 40% of the individuals of, wait a minute, so you're getting ready to make arguably for most Americans what is the largest purchase in your life and you didn't take the time to, to research and know what you were signing nope. and, and you want to blame the banks. And so that there's there's things like that for me, and, and that comes from my, my childhood of I, I don't blame. I don't push accountability onto someone else. If if I have to be responsible for my actions, I'm not going to blame other people. And fast forwarding ahead, how critical is that lesson that's embedded into your DNA now being a leader? Well, second time, right? Like, I mean, it's it starts and stops with you, right? Accountability when it's when you're at the top. That's that in my definition. And that's the way I lead my business. Like I protect my employees. I take the blame. I take the hit. I do everything. If you're not, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I, am I really being a leader? I mean, if you, you want to take it down that path now yeah. as well. So, so I even flipped that whole thing around. How? So for me as the CEO, president CEO of the company, I don't see myself at, at the top. You know, people say it's, it's a, a top down, top down. No, 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 no. I'm bottom up. Because I feel that in my role as CEO, 99.99999% of the decisions that I make should never be for me. They should be for the people that I serve and support. My role is to serve and support. Yes, you make some decisions. Yeah, you set some strategies. You cast a vision. But the fact of the matter is the people within the organization are who execute. So for me, I serve and support the organization. I'm at the very bottom. If you go to our it. website right now yeah. and you look at the About Us page, go to go to all About, about Us pages. And there. the first thing you'll see, you see are chairmen's, founders, CEOs, C-suite executives. You go to ours, it's, I'm at the bottom. It, and is, is, is this, it, this is the definition of servant leadership. Servant leadership. That's, that's what the role is. Your role is to serve and support. And, and so... Uh, in my opinion, you know, this just happened, what, back in October. I, I was uh, nominated and voted for the best CEO in Austin. And when, when I won, 
I stood up and, and gave the speech and I said, this is a bit comical to me because I don't actually do the work. All the people that I serve and support execute on the work. If you want to give me an award, give me an award because we've implemented great hiring practices and we've hired great people that execute on the work. But we, we over-celebrate CEOs. Again, yes, it. we make some very tough decisions. Yes, we make some uh, the, cast the visions, set the strategy. But at the end of the day, the people that you serve and support execute on the vision. A vision and a plan without execution is bullshit. Yes, I'm throwing out the middle part of my interview and let's get into it right now. Let's talk about Scribe. Let's talk about why this company is so successful, but the people that work there. Let's talk about the hiring. Let's, what is the overall approach and how is it, how is it different? What have you learned from other experience? Like, how does this become a great place to work? And why do people want to work there? Um, I, I, it, it starts with the culture, e even this from, from the very, just, just one, one words matter. And so for me, I, I growing up, everyone all, you, you, you remember this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Bullshit. When, when you're mixed race and, and people Every are calling word. you Oreo cookie, zebra, half breed, uh, chocolate, vanilla swirl, those words hurt. And, and so words for me, even with my limited vocabulary, Words are very intentional. So for us, it starts long before you ever get into the door at Scribe. Go, go look at our career descriptions. Keyword right there. Notice I didn't say job descriptions. You want a job? Go there. You want a career? Come here. Love that and, definition. And so Difference. Mm -hmm. It starts as career description. Second, go look at our website. If you want to find out what we stand for, we have a public-facing a public facing document of our culture Bible that gives all of our values of what we believe, what we stand for, and what, what we uphold within the company. What I find amazing is most companies, you don't actually know what they stand for until you're hired. Right. And then maybe the week that you're being onboarded, they walk you through the office, you Some see bullshit a couple bullshit statement. posters on the yeah. wall, or, or or they tell you, you know, what, what it is in onboarding. No, we want you to know what we are, who we are, and what we stand for long before you get here. Because guess what? You may not like what we stand for. Great. No okay. harm, no foul. You don't want to work here? We don't want you to work here. Where did, where did those values come from? What was the process of putting pen on paper? Take us back to that. Was that was that during Tucker's it's, time, or is that did that was that during your time? So I it's uh, so the company's seven years old. I've been here for six of them, and so so the company was thirteen months old when I, when I came on board. Tucker and Zach, the two co-founders, they actually had the the original culture bible. And it's evolved over that time period. As it should. There was a time period where our number one value was results. And I actually am the person who changed it to uh, people because you can't drive results without people. People yep. should always be first. Number Our one thing, pe people, people, people. It's amazing to me that, that we as a society complicate business. Put people first. If you have great people, you can build great process. You can make great profits. And with those great profits, you can do great things for the communities that you live and, and work in. It, it's, it's that simple. And, and so many people right now, let's call it what it is. Capitalism has been demonized in our country. But here's, the, here's what I find interesting. We demonize capitalism. We demonize profitability. But 
what's the government want to do? Tax the capitalists for more money because they need money. When you right. go to church, what do they do? They pass around the plate for money. What do nonprofits do? They reach out to the capitalists who can donate money. So here's the thing. Being profitable is not a bad thing. Capitalists aren't a bad thing. Here's what's bad. It's what do we Great. do or what's, what we're not doing with those profits. So if you, I'll say it again. People process profit. And with those profits, you do great things for the communities that you live and work in. I love it. What we do in podcasting world is we take a pause here because this is where I want my editor to make a clip of that segment right there. So interesting. So, <laughs> so, so I had I, I, I love doing a little like what was that back in the MTV the pop up video where I had like the little behind the scenes when you were watching the the, the video. Oh no, that was VH1. VH1, right? VH1. <laughs> this is pop up podcasting. We're gonna we're gonna, a whole new platform we're doing over here. It's actually not man, bad. we just showed our age right there, Adam. It's not not a bad idea. <laughs> this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each and every week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content. Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in their rotation. So there's a big chance you're not only listening to the podcast, and that's totally cool. In fact, I'd love to share a podcast to add to your list that's one of my personal favorites and is actually an inspiration to me as a host. The Jordan Harbinger Show is a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives deep into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. His episodes on travels to North Korea are not to miss in some of my personal favorites. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode. And if you like the podcast, you're going to love the Jordan Harbinger Show, point blank. Jordan is smart, funny, and easy to listen to. You'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversations, a few laughs, and actionable advice that can directly improve your life. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I, and as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. I want to talk about Tucker for a moment there, someone that you obviously work close with. And he's spoken uh, publicly about not being great in a CEO early on at Scribe. And, and you were the person you know, brought in for that. What is something that you learned from Tucker in the transition that you apply you know, in, in your servant leadership? Um, I wouldn't say that I learned anything from Tucker as far as uh, servant leadership or anything. What I learned about from, from Tucker was more of, of self. Probably the greatest thing that Tucker did for me, it, it is the, the, the greatest thing. Tucker once said to me, he goes, man, you are the fastest learner I have ever met. And it, and it paused me in my tracks. Again, I, I graduated high school. Uh, I didn't graduate high school, but I, I, had a, I could only read on a fifth or sixth grade level, and I, and I got a GED. Throughout my entire childhood, throughout my career, no one had ever told me I was a fast learner. Hmm. So when he said it, it, it really, I, I paused for a second, and I go, wait a minute, did you just say I was one of the fastest learners? He goes, no, I said, you are the fastest learner I have ever met. And, and people have to remember this, regardless of what you feel about Tucker Max, 
the, the man is a damn genius. And, and so he's got, Tucker's got a degree from the University of Chicago. Tucker's got a law degree from Duke University. <laughs> smart motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> smart, yeah, exactly. Smart as hell. So when he said that, it opened my eyes to like, oh, okay. And, and that was one of the greatest gifts Tucker had ever, has ever given me is just those words. How do you pay it forward instilling confidence in others by calling out their strengths just like Tucker did? You know, so 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 something we do here within the I feel like he taught that to you. Well, it, well right, it's another example. part of the culture is um, if you if you think about this, uh, I, I've always said this: funerals are stupid, and a lot of people are going to critique that. Again, my opinion. Uh, the, here's why I think they're stupid: you go to a funeral, everyone goes up and says their kind words, they speak their piece about the the deceased, whatever. Here's what I find interesting: seventy percent of the shit that's said, the person that's laying there never even heard, never even knew that you. I felt didn't know that you way felt that. Way. Why didn't you tell it to me when I was alive? Exactly. <laughs> so right? I'm like. Okay, I don't don't save that shit till someone dies. Tell someone now. You know, it's like if you have a, a coworker, a, a family member, a good friend, a mentor, whatever it is, share with them how impactful that person was with you. Share with them the thing, the qualities that you really appreciate about them. But what I always find interesting is people will go to funerals and share all this shit that. The person dead never even knew that they felt that way about him. So to your point, that's something that we highlight here within the the uh, our culture is highlighting people's strengths uh, and, and letting them know how we appreciate them. That's tremendous. So let's pull back the curtain on the hiring process there. And, and the age old question you see over LinkedIn and social media, you know, hire, hire for character, train for skill. Um which is tough because how do you assess character in a couple of interviews? And how do you assess someone who might just be a fantastic interviewer and bullshitting you? And then, you know, when the rubber hits the road and they're working there, you're like, uh, this ain't, you know, we didn't get what we paid for here. How, how, how is the interview process described, designed to really ensure this culture that you, you, that the team has built and designed, uh, you know, holds up? Well, I mean, let, let's, acknowledge, let's acknowledge what it is. I don't care who you are, Google, Microsoft, Amazon. There's, there's, no, there's no flawless, perfect hiring uh, process. It, it's, it, you know, w- what we've done has worked best for, for us. Uh, we've run the numbers, Adam, you'll appreciate this. It's actually easier to get into an Ivy League school than it is to get into Scribe. By by percentages, if you wow. if you run the numbers of candidates who've tried to get in here versus candidates who tried to get into an Ivy League school, why is it so um, stringent? It's and six, how? Well, it's a six week process, and, and you know we protect the culture. We we want culture ads, not culture fits. We want culture. I ads. hate. Cul- I don't use culture fit. That's like literally like that's yes. like any. That's like whatever those derogatory terms they called you. That's a culture. Not as to that extreme, but culture fit to me is just a bad word. Yeah, culture ad. I, we want we want culture ads. What do you add to the culture? It could be, I mean, many of things. You could be a parent. You could be a person with no degree. You, it could be race, religion, what, whatever. What is the culture ad that you bring to the table? Uh, another piece as well, as you're going through the the hiring uh, experience with us, is you speak with multitudes uh, of uh, tribe members. So it's not a one or two person experience and you speak with them all on individual levels. And what we're looking for, like you said, we're looking for character, we're looking for culture ad. Uh, Even when I have sat in some of the interviews, 
I'm asking, I, I walk into the interview and I'll say, Adam, you and I are role playing this. Okay, Adam, you know what? What questions do you have for me? And the reason why I start with that is because here's what I have found. Most people, once they know they're going to interview with the CEO, they're waiting to be peppered with questions. When I walk in and I say, hey, what questions do you have for me? It throws them completely off because now they're like, uh. They're on the other side and, of it. And yeah. if you, exactly. Table, table's and turned. if you don't have any questions for me, that's a red flag for me. Like, they, wait a minute. You went through this whole process, you went through this whole experience, and you don't have any questions for me? And so I, I, that's a red flag for me. Yeah, that's lack of inquisivity. And, some, and, and I think yes. being inquisitive is such an undervalued, underspoken about tremendous trait. Because if you're inquisitive, in my opinion, this is just my opinion here, that usually means, usually, big asterisk on that, you're a natural problem solver because you're always looking for an answer. You're always looking for the how, the why, why is it that working and going down that rabbit hole to figure it out. When I hire somebody, when I interview people, that's what I look for. And I want to go back to culture fit for a moment. And while we say culture ed, there's an analogy I, I love to use and I love talking about it. I look at hiring in a company as a, as a quilt, a fabric made up of different textiles, different uh, materials, colors, thicknesses, density, and each one is unique. And standalone, it's pretty awesome, right? But when you put all those pieces together and you take a step back and now you're looking at this beautiful quilt, that should be the fabric of your organization. And that's totally. my approach. That is literally the way I do it. But all right, let's, let's turn the tables here for a second here. Six-week interview process. If you posted that mm -hmm. shit on LinkedIn right now, the, the trolls and everyone would come out and say, Javon, who the hell wants to go through a six-week process, especially in this market? How many interviews do I have to go for? Why can't you make a decision earlier? Who In this market, I could go somewhere and I can interview in one week, be done. You should want me. You should be able to make a decision immediately. What do you say to that? Don't apply. <laughs> I mean, I'll make it simple for you. Don't apply. It, it's, um, we, we, we're not for everyone. Everyone's not for us. And, and that's and, fair. And I'll, I'll say this to you. I'll take it a step further. Um, we've got numerous people, numerous tribe members within the culture who have applied here six, seven, eight times before uh, they, they were extended an offer. So it's, you know, we've, we've got people that, that want to, to work here. And we understand it's not for mm -hmm. everyone. You know, yeah, if you can go interview over there and it's, you can get hired in one week, hey, great. We, no, no harm, no foul. Beautiful. Yeah, Glad it worked out for you. But is it, and, and I don't think this is talked about enough, and we go back to self-awareness and responsibility as a job seeker, the, doing the due diligence on your end, don't you want to, there's a balance, there's a, there's a numerical balance and time balance of meeting as many people as possible to get a good sense? Like, you mean to tell me if this is totally. a mid to senior level job, that after two freaking interviews, you're good to go? That you asked everything, you're good, you're good to leave yep. the last job you were at? Come on, man. I think it's just buzzword here, here's, bullshit. Here's buzzword bullshit. I, I find it interesting. People, much like in seeking a career, it's it's a little bit like uh, when, when you're starting out in a in a relationship. Most people, I'm not going to say it's not done, but most people don't go out on the first date and then move in on the second one. And and so it takes time to get to know someone. It takes time to find out who they are, what they stand for, what what are their consistencies. What you know, uh, so many people, regardless if you believe in this this lifestyle or not, uh, who first move, you know maybe they're dating for nine months, then they decide to move in together. Well, the first nine months were great. And then you moved in together and you're like, oh, no, 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 this is not okay, what I bad thought. Bad decision, man. So, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of the same way. And let's call it what it is. 
When you're interviewing, it's, it's much like political campaigning. You're bringing the very best version of that person. They're sitting there in front of mm-hmm. you telling you everything they're going to do to get elected. Then you elect them, and lo and behold, they didn't follow through with the damn thing that they said nope. they were going to do. So we're, we're doing our best because, again, as I started off, there is no flawless or perfect hiring system. There are going to be people that do get hired that aren't a culture ad that do not represent all the things that they said they represented in those interviews. It's going to happen. Happens to the greatest companies, happens to the smallest of companies. It's going to happen. So walk us through when you have to let somebody go. What's that process like um, professionally and how does that feel inside? Um, It's for me, and and I say this to all of our direct supports. Here's here's another piece of our culture to, to fill you in. We don't have uh, direct reports. You know, you don't say, oh, who's, who's your who's direct your boss? report? Who's no, we boss? have direct supports. Yeah, we don't have bosses. I'm no one's boss. I, I am no more important than everyone else in the organization. No one works for me. Love, People I love work that. with me. Love that. Um, but when we say direct supports, if you are in leadership, again, your role is to serve and support. So your role in leadership, you are a direct support. Who do you directly support? That's the way it's approached with, within Scribe. Now, back to your question of how do we exit someone? We do a thing, we, co- we coach people up or we coach people out. Meaning, hey, we're going to sit with you. We're going to figure out, okay, what, what, what's the issue? What are the problems? Let's highlight them. What are your strengths? We don't just sit with you and talk about, oh, here's all the shit you're doing wrong. No, let's talk about your strengths. Let's talk about the areas for improvement. Here, let's put together a plan for these areas of improvement. If it does not work out, then we start to coach people out. I, I live by this, Adam. I don't, twice a year, we, I do a thing where we will give uh, four weeks severance to anyone that wants to leave. No questions asked. You want, you want to leave? We'll give you four weeks severance. I live by this. No one should be unhappy in, in their career. If Absolutely you have not. to say, thank God it's Friday, I, I don't, don't work here. You're in the wrong place. You, you, and that's not a, a knock. That's if, you, if you've got to trade two for five, if you're working for a Saturday and Sunday and you just despise the, the, the Monday through Friday, you're in the wrong place. Go, go, go create happiness wherever you feel that you can Huge. create happiness. But it's not here. So we want, we want people who want to work here, who want to be a part of this Love culture. It. And so if, if it doesn't work out, we, we want to coach them up or coach them out. This is tremendous. And, and thank you so much. And we're going to put a big fat red bow on this segment right here uh, around hiring. And I want I, I, I wouldn't be a good podcast host if I didn't talk about books. Why do you why do you think books are such an intimate way of consuming information and stories still? How how are books still standing up that test of time in today's digital screen, always screen on kind of world? Um, well, yeah, let, let's let's be fair to that as well. Audiobooks has played a big part of that. But the fact of the matter is, Adam, books are always going to be books. I don't care what form. You've got the Bible. You've got tablets. you got when people used to carve the, the carvings and drawings on walls. Books will always be books. I, it could be books on cassette, CD, books. On, now you got them on, on Audible. It can be what if they Anything. come out with books on hologram one day. Books will always be books. So it's the way we consume information. It's the way we learn. It's the way we teach. And again, it can come in all different forms, but books are always going to be books. Who should not write a book? 
again, my, my opinion, um, if you're writing a book because your goal is to set out, and, and again, keep in mind, we're, we're nonfiction. So that's, that's our arena is nonfiction. If an author comes to us and they say, hey, I want to be a New York Times bestselling author and I want to sell a million copies, we actually won't work with them. Nope. Yeah, that, that person is seeking fame. Uh, that was, so we, we refer them over to the Kardashians because that's not our business model. Um, where We want people who are writing a book for a purpose that may be a legacy piece for their, their family. That could it. be a credibility piece for their, their, where, where they are in their industry. It could be lead generation for their business. Uh, so so we, we do books and work with authors uh, for a purpose. Obviously, you know, we did David Goggins' book. We've, done, we've worked with the Nobel Peace Prize Committee, the former CEO of Chipotle, uh, one, of my, one of my favorites, uh, the first black woman in America to own a billion-dollar company. Most people think it's Oprah, and it's not. It's Janice Bryant Howroyd. So that that was a big favorite of mine. Nice. So yeah, we 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 work with authors who are writing a book for a purpose. So what's the secret sauce? What's the Colonel's recipe over to, there to writing a good well, book? Uh, as I, far as what? Yeah, I mean, what's what's the formula over at Scribe to work with authors to bring out their best and 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 carve it into the stone. Um, for, for us, it's, it's taking them through the process, the interviewing process to give you an example. I, I, you know, that's how I ended up being, uh, the, the part of the company was I wanted to write my book and I had no, there was no way I could have ever written this how. book and, and our process allowed me to speak my book out loud. Uh, the, the folks that work with me, Amanda, Mark, uh, Tucker, I, I was able to sit with them and they asked questions. They pulled out the details and all I had to do was give my information. They structured it. They Story made time. sure it flowed correctly. The punctu punctuation, the, the grammar, the, the, you know, where, where all, all the words spelled correctly. I didn't need to do any of that. I just got to sit back and speak my book. And, and they pushed me to, to pull out those hard details. I love it. And listen, I don't want to use our time now to talk so much about Scribe because anybody could go out and research it. Um, but I want to talk about some of the good work that you're doing. And you work with you know kids from low-income communities. So with all this talk about wealth and racial inequality, and you faced about it, you faced it you know, your entire life, how are you giving back? How, what, what, what's, what, talk from the heart about what this means to you and how you're giving back. The, the what I have found to be most valuable in, in giving back because it's what what's that old uh, that old adage uh, teach a man to fish feed him every day uh, right. give a man to fish feed him for for one meal or whatever whatever the hell it is right. something along those lines and for me the greatest lessons we talked about this earlier the greatest lessons that I have found in life are the things that hmm. no school teaches they should. But how to how to shake a hand? How to, yeah. to look someone in the exactly. eye? How to greet someone? Uh, how to have impeccable attention to detail? Punctuality. You know, we were talking about interviewing before. I, I've I can't tell you the amount of youth that I have coached on punctuality for for an interview. It's the easiest and, thing and, you and could I do, right? The easiest thing you easiest do. Show up at the make your bed and show up at the Dave people, Goggins, right? I tell people to show up thirty minutes early, and they're like, "What?" I said, yeah, 30 minutes early. I said, you know why? Watch this. One, no one shows up 30 minutes early. <laughs> I go, but two, when you show up, and I'm supposed to meet with Adam at, at 2 o'clock, and it's 1.30. The person that works with Adam, they're going to go in and tell Adam, hey, your, your, your 2 o'clock's here. 
and you're going to look at your watch and go, damn, they're like 30 minutes early. Now, here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to walk into the interview with you, and I'm going to say to you, hey, Adam, I know I was early, but where I come from, I know a lot of people who have been fired or missed an opportunity for being two minutes late, but I've never met anyone who's been fired or missed an opportunity for being 30 minutes early. Now, that's guess what advice. just happened? You're going to remember me now through all yeah, these interviews. That's, you're that's like, a good, oh, shit. That's, that is, that's a good tip. So, Javon, if you could go back in time as a man you are today and speak to your younger self dealing with what you grew up with, what would you want to say to your 10-year-old Javon? Uh, you know, I, I've said I've been asked that question quite a bit recently, and, I, and I've said this to people. Uh, put me back in solitary confinement as a kid. Put me back in being sexually molested. Put me back on being hungry and pulling full food from the trash can to have something to eat. Man, I would live my childhood five more times if you told me that this is the, the life that I was going to have. When I was a kid, I never couldn't even come close to imagining this, but... Um, I would tell that nine-year-old Javon, I'm like, hey, man, wait till you get to the other side of Damn. this because it's it's amazing. I would I would relive my childhood five more times to to have the life wow. I have now. That's powerful. Let's let's bring it home here, Javon. What is it? What is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every day? It could be a mantra, something when you wake up, something when you're about to you know you know go go into work mode. Like what what is that advice? It, it arguably has to be the Thomas Edison quote when they asked him what it was like to fail a thousand times in trying to discover the, the light bulb electricity. And his response was, did I fail a thousand times or did I find a thousand ways that didn't work? And why that was so powerful for me is I took that as, okay, we all make mistakes. Mistakes are okay. We all do it. I don't care who you are walking this earth. You all, everyone makes a mistake. A mistake is okay, but you have to learn, grow, don't repeat the mistake. And more importantly, you only fail if you stop trying. And so that Thomas Edison quote for me stuck out and, and I have adopted the mindset of, okay, I'm just never going to stop trying. I'll be 105 years old. I'm still going to keep trying. I love it. I love it. And, and what I take from that is either you're going to learn or you're going to earn with every experience. And if you're not doing either of them, you're wasting time. That's just, just totally. my, my little piece on that. And last but not least, bring it home here. You know, you look back on your life and you look back on those hardest times, those early days, your childhood with your mom, when you were seeing people strung out, cracked out, you know, not knowing where your next meal was going to come from. And you look at your life now. And this amazing family, the success that you have, being incredibly humble and proud and an awesome servant leader. What do you look to to pull yourself up? What do you look to as your roadmap? Javon McCormick, what do you look to to harness your inner tenacity? What is your North Star in life? Uh, to, to give back. It's, it's um, I, I've arguably... There's no arguing. I, I've been blessed with an amazing life to be able to come through the things that I've come from. And now it's, it's you know, my, my options were athlete, rapper, drug dealer. Th those were my three options where, where I grew up in the low economic communities. No one told me I could be an entrepreneur. No one told me I could be 
uh, a pharmaceutical rep. And, and so for me, it's giving back and, and showing people what's possible. This is real key. I Notice I said showing because we live in a society where everyone's telling someone, what to, mm-hmm. pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Well, let me explain something to you, dumbass. <laughs> I grew up with shoes with holes that I had to wear bread bags on my feet Jeez. to keep my feet dry because it was snow. There were no boots, so there were no straps. If I don't even know what's possible, how can I achieve what I don't even know what's out there? You have to show kids, you have to show possibility. So if you show me what's possible, then you can tell me how I can do it. Show me a wealth advisor. Tell me how I can become one. Show me an attorney. Where I grew up, the only attorneys we knew were the defense attorneys that were (laughs) provided for you to try to keep your ass out of jail. So no one told us about a, a corporate tax attorney. No one told us about a patent attorney. And so I, I have a, a huge responsibility to show what's possible. So I, I never want to motivate anyone. Motivation for me is like heroin. You, you get a hit of motivation and a week later, you, you know, you watch your Tony Robbins conference and, and you're motivated. And a week later, you need another conference. Man, heroin and motivation <laughs> are the exact same thing. You get a hit and you need more. No, Dope. I want to inspire and show people what's possible. Don't ever refer to me as a motivational speaker because I'm not here to motivate you, but I am here to show you what's possible. That is how we do it. Javon McCormick, thank you so much for your time for your generosity with your wisdom and your knowledge. I certainly appreciate it. I want everyone to check out scribe.com to find out everything about scribe. Javon, where can people connect with you? Where could they learn more? Oh man, they, they've got all kinds of stuff working for me now, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now, Adam, man. They're, they're blowing me up on uh TikTok. They're TikToking um, you? Link. Oh man, there's a whole channel of the the shit that I say <laughs> for TikTok, man. I am blown away that people listen to uh, the things I say. But yeah, LinkedIn and, and TikTok seem to be the places where people. Oh man, I gotta, uh, I gotta follow will, you on TikTok. Follow me, but yeah, TikTok's that's, that's all I got, man. I just I, I serve and support for a living. That's all I do. I, I love it, man. And keep going with the with the uh, with the LinkedIn stuff too. That's where it's at. There, hang with me for one moment as I sign off here, guys. This has been an awesome episode. This is what the podcast is all about. It's about sharing life stories, career journeys, giving you that insight and wisdom. I want everyone to go back and listen how Javon supports his team and how they build culture in the interview process because this is the other side of the coin that you don't hear about. So I want you to take it all in. Listen, guys, you know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on those social media channels. Guess what? Hit me up, my email, adam at nhptalentgroup.com. Remember, take care of each other, look out for one another, and catch us next week for another great episode of The Podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.